cares if I cough through it? It's good. Let's do it. Um, I said last week that Paul acknowledges that God has brought different kinds of people into his church. Uh, People who, in their culture, were hostile toward one another. But now uh, he has brought them together as one and torn down the wall of hostility. Now, And Paul is anticipating that the, the divisions these people had outside the church will threaten to, to divide them inside the church. He, he recognizes this might be a problem. So he reminded them in chapter 2, he said, listen, you and God were once divided because you were hostile toward God. And you were dead to him in your sin and rebellion. But God made you alive together with Jesus. He brought you near to himself through the blood of Jesus. He forgave your sins. He's redeemed you. He's made you alive. And when God tore into that curtain of separation between him and you, he also tore down that wall of hostility between you and your other fellow believers. So Paul is echoing what Jesus told his disciples in John 13. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, now you love one another. Just as I have removed the hostility between us, now you remove the hostility between yourselves and love one another as I have loved you. And so in chapter 3, verse 14, he's going to pray that the church would be rooted and grounded in that love That Jesus has for his people. And he's going to do that before he goes on in chapter 4 through the rest of the letter to show them how to love one another. Um, But that prayer doesn't start till verse 14. So, and it starts this way, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, but but we're in verse 1. And verse 1 starts, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner, and many commentators believe, and it makes sense, that, that Paul was about to start that prayer, that verse 14 prayer, in verse 1, when he said, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. But when he reminds them that he's writing this letter from prison in Rome, his heart considers how this might impact the church in Ephesus. And so he takes a moment to address any concerns they may, may have before he closes the first half of this letter with a prayer. So, how does Paul want to encourage the church in this little parenthesis before the prayer? Let's find out as we stand together and read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Hear the word of the God who loves you. The word of the God who loves his church. For this reason, I, Paul, (coughs) a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. I just love it when Paul says he's written briefly. Makes makes this non-brief preacher feel better. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery 
is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, would you use your word now to help us so that we would not lose heart? We ask in Christ's name, amen. So Friday, we celebrated the 23rd birthday of our twins, Abby and Micah. And Abby's here with us this morning, visiting from Charlotte. And uh, I was thinking about that day 23 years ago, January 28, 1999, in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, We arrived at the hospital they were going to induce two weeks early because mama was about to pop. She had uh, apparently about 13 pounds worth of baby on board. And so uh, we got in there, and at about 6 o'clock that morning, they induced labor. And uh, Abby did not arrive until 6.07 that evening. So 12 hours of long hard, painful labor, and I'm going to brag on my wife here for a minute, no epidural, not even a a pain shot, nothing, and she gave birth to twins. So Abby arrived at 6.07, Micah, 24 minutes later, uh, apparently he had gotten tired of being shoved into a corner by his sister for nine months, and so he was enjoying the freedom that he had in there for a little while since his roommate had left. So, um, and I was thinking about that day. I was thinking about how long and difficult that was for Christine and for any mother uh, to do, to be in labor and give birth to a child. And uh, poor thing, she only had me to be her coach and cheerleader. Right, yeah, it's kind of disheartening. Um, but I had trained. We had gone to Lamaze classes. Remember, remember Lamaze? In Lamaze, they teach you these breathing techniques, hee-hee-hoo, all that stuff, you know. I start doing that now, I'll cough. Um, breathing techniques, plus they teach you to have a focal point. You know, get a, a stuffed animal or a picture of, <laughs> somebody said, get a picture of your spouse. I was like, she doesn't want to look at him. Um, you know, some kind of focal point to help you 
press through the pain to the joy of delivering the little baby. So Christine, um, I, I was prepared to help her breathe, and then her focal point was double. She had these two little stuffed babies, a, a little girl and a little boy, and she kind of had them there to look at the whole time. Um, I'll tell you that story because in verse 13, Paul says, so I ask you not to lose heart. And when he says that, that lose heart word that he uses is a Greek word that was common in uh, Greek culture to describe um, the experience of a woman giving birth. And as any woman in here who has given birth would understand, there's a point to which you just may lose heart. Other times Paul uses it, he, it's translated uh, grow weary, like do not grow weary in doing good. Paul's saying, hang in there in the strain and pain of labor, church, and don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Don't lose heart over what it looks like uh, God is not doing in the church. Oh, man, they've taken Paul out, our, our great leader, our teacher, our pastor. He, he's in prison. What is, how is the church movement, this new movement of the gospel, going to go forward when our, when our leader is in prison? And Paul says, hang in there. Don't lose heart. Because it's true that in the life of every Christian and in the ministry of every church, there are times when following Jesus seems to require more strength than we have, more endurance than we have. We get weary and we lose heart. And so Paul's coming alongside the Christians and the church in Ephesus as their Lamaze coach, so to speak, urging them to not lose heart over what seems like a setback for the church. But Paul is not the kind of coach I was. He actually has experience. Uh, I don't know what it's like to give birth to babies, but Paul knows what it's like to, give, to help be a midwife and give birth to, to Christians and to churches. Uh, he said to the Galatians in Galatians 4.19, he said, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul himself knew what it was like to anguish in childbirth for people to have Christ formed in them. And so he's coming alongside them to encourage them not to lose heart in what God has called them to do. He coaches them from what he knows. And he does that here in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Here's what I want to do. I'm just going to walk through these verses and, and try to show you this is how Paul says he didn't lose heart. These were the, the things that enabled him not to lose heart. This, these were his breathing techniques, and these were his focal points that helped him not to lose heart in his ministry as he's the one in prison. And, he's, and he does that. He's leading them by example so that they then would not lose heart in his suffering or their concern for what will happen to the church movement. So, let's, let's uh, walk through these together. Paul's saying, I don't lose heart over this, so don't you lose heart. First, he says, I don't lose heart because I belong to Jesus. Look at verse 1. 
He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, imagine the soldier to whom Paul is chained as Paul is dictating this letter to his secretary who's writing it down. Imagine that soldier hearing Paul say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I imagine the soldier going, hey, buddy, you're a prisoner of Rome. And your friends, the Jews, got you into this mess. What are you talking about, a prisoner of Christ Jesus? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. (laughs) I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I wasn't sent here by the Jews. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he owns me. And he's in charge of how he wants me to serve him. And who is this Christ Jesus to whom Paul is really chained? Paul's already told us who he is. He's the resurrected Messiah who met him on the road to Damascus. Jesus is the one who shed his blood on a cross for Paul, the man who hated Jesus and persecuted his people. Jesus shed his blood for this man. This is the Jesus who rose from the dead and made Paul alive with him. This is the Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God with every authority and ruler and dominion under his feet. And God seated Paul with Jesus there at his right hand. Who is Rome? Who are the Jews? Who is this soldier chained to me? Ha! I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. (coughs) And the one who holds me captive has nail-scarred hands. I don't lose heart because I belong to Jesus. Secondly, Paul says, I don't lose heart because I'm here for you. I'm I'm in this for you. Verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Listen, Christine didn't lose heart that day after 12 hours of labor because she knew God was going to bring new life into the world through her. Two new lives, Abby and Micah, they were coming. They already had names. Paul was suffering in prison, yes, but it was for the sake of others, people who had names, people whom God had chosen to give new life. It had a purpose. (coughs) And so that's why in verse 13, he says, I I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul says, I don't lose heart because I'm here for you. And then he goes on and he says, I don't lose heart because my whole life is permeated with God's grace and favor. Where do we see that? Look at verse 2. Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 7, he says it again. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul says, no, my life 
is permeated with the grace and favor of God, even though I'm the last one who should get it. And like John Newton, Paul's whole life was marked by an amazement of the grace of God for a wretch like him. If God did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for a wretch like Paul, how would he not also graciously give Paul everything? God should be against me, Paul says, but in Jesus, God is for me. And if God came for me when I was against him, who could be against me now that he is for me? God's grace permeates Paul's life. If, if Paul's life, if your life, if my life were written on a giant uh, billboard on Highway 27 for all to see, Jesus would have taken a brush with his blood and painted grace all across it so that you couldn't even read what it said without reading grace, 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 grace. Paul says, I don't lose heart because no matter what's going on around me, it's all grace. And then Paul says, I don't lose heart because God has shown me, God has shown me what he's up to in the world. Look at verse 2 again. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When Paul says mystery, he's not necessarily talking about something mysterious. It is, a mystery is something that was previously hidden that is now disclosed. That's how he's using the word. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Jesus is the mystery, and Paul sees it now. Paul sees it and he writes about it and he teaches it and he preaches it. He's bringing it to light for everyone else because God has shown it to him. Paul doesn't lose heart because he knows the plot of the story God is telling. He knows what God is up to in the world. And he's confident that since God is the author of the story, he can write Paul in wherever and however he wants. He will write us into the plot of his story in whatever way he thinks best moves the plot forward. Paul has confidence in that because he knows what the story is and he knows the God who's writing it. And so friends, let's not lose heart. We know what God is up to. We know the story of Jesus. We know the Jesus of God's story. So let's continue to soak ourselves in this story so that we will not lose heart, so that we will not begin to look around at what's going on or what's not going on in the world, in our lives, in our church, in our families, and start to believe that there's another narrative being told. Let's keep ourselves in this story so that we can interpret our story.
all those things that are going on, like Paul in prison or whatever it is that's happening in, in our church, in your family, in your life. Those are not signs that God has abandoned his story and his plot and his plan. They're just plot twists. And they should make us go, hmm, what are you up to, God? This is not what I expected. But Paul didn't lose heart that God was falling away from what he planned to do. He just, he just trusted, okay, this is different than what I expected, but you're still telling the story. God knew, uh, Paul knew what God was up to. Next, he said, I don't lose heart. Because no matter where I am, he's given me his story to tell. He's given me the unsearchable reaches of, Je- riches of Jesus to share. He says in verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister, a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he not only has been given and shown the mystery, he's been given the opportunity now to share the mystery, to tell the mystery. And being in prison didn't stop Paul from preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ or It didn't stop him from bringing God's plan to light for everyone. You realize that at a minimum, Paul wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon from that prison. If Paul had not been given that time and space and place to write, would we have the mystery revealed for us the way we do? The mystery that has been passed down generation after generation don't lose heart you can still tell tell the story of Jesus and show the Jesus of the story to the people God has given you in the places he's put you that's what we're doing here that's what we do with each other that's what you do with your children and your grandchildren and the children of this church we continue to show them the story of God that has been revealed to us in Jesus and show them the Jesus who is the hero of the story. Don't lose heart. We're going to keep doing that and you're going to keep doing that by God's grace. And then Paul says, I don't lose heart because what I'm suffering serves the purpose of building a church that puts God on display to the universe. He says in verse 10, all this is so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you hear what this verse is saying? God is going to put his manifold, that's multicolored wisdom on display for all of the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is for all of the spiritual powers of darkness and light, God is going to say to them, hey, hey, come here, everybody. See those people? See that church? There's my multicolored wisdom. 
That's amazing. God is going to use his church to show the powers and authorities in unseen places of darkness and light. Look at my wisdom. Look at my glory. It's like when, uh, it reminds me of when God, uh, in the book of Job, says that all the kind of the rulers and authorities, the, the spiritual powers came to gather together, which tells me that perhaps there's a regular check-in that they have to do with the king of all reality. And uh, Satan comes in, where have you been? I've been roaming to and fro the earth. God says, have you, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, oh yeah, yeah, but he wouldn't serve you if you didn't bless him so much. And God's like, let's see. And the whole story of Job is a story of a man who has every reason not to continue to trust God. A story of a man who really wrestles with whether he wants to or not and is very honest about it. But in the end, God is his redeemer and he knows it. And he clings to him even though he's lost everything else. His own wife told him, curse God and die. He said, no, I don't, I don't understand him. I don't like what he's doing right now, but I, I know that my Redeemer lives. And God says to the powers that be, that's my work. That's my wisdom. He's showing me what I'm worth, and he's showing you what I'm worth. I'm worth losing everything. In church, Paul is saying, I'm not going to lose heart in my suffering because my suffering and our suffering together as a body shows the universe he's worth losing everything. And so then verses 11 and 12 kind of sum up everything Paul has said so far. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Finally, Paul says, look, I don't lose heart because God has an eternal purpose for what he's doing. And while he's unfolding that purpose in real time, though I'm not sure always what it should look like, while he's unfolding his purpose in real time, I can confidently have access to him and all his riches and all of his resources and all of his power by faith in Jesus. And I think that's kind of a, a summary of everything that he said so far. Everything that he said so far, he said, breathe and focus, breathe and focus, breathe in God's love that made you his, you belong to him. Breathe in God's love for those others whom he will draw to Jesus through you. Breathe in the grace of God that permeates your entire story. Breathe in the story of what God is up to in Jesus. Then breathe out that story and breathe out that Jesus to the people he's given you in the places he's put you. 
breathe out your participation in a local church that together, so that together you will put Jesus on display in a local place. Breathe in all that you know of God's eternal purposes in Jesus. Breathe out prayers of bold and confident faith and dependence on him with tears as he unfolds that purpose in real time in your life and in the life of our church. And as you breathe in and breathe out and breathe in and breathe out, focus on Jesus, church. Keep looking at Jesus. That's how you don't lose heart. That's how we don't lose heart. Father, would you help us as your people at Mountain Fellowship not to lose heart in what we are suffering for the sake of others so that they may have glory in knowing Jesus. It's hard, Father. It's hard. It's, oh, it's hard. We want to quit. We want to lose heart. We're growing weary. But we can't. We can't. Because you're not through with us yet. You're not done. There's new life to be born on the other side of this pain. So would you help us? Help us to breathe in your grace, to breathe it out to the people you've given us, and to focus on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.